Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Woo! If you're excited to be in the house of God today, make some noise. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, John. Man, I know I'm not P. Joe, but I'm still Joe. So I'm just about a foot shorter. It's all right. That's it. This is a different type of Joe. Excited to be here. This is my first time preaching on Sunday, so I'm excited. And I think I haven't been in first service since they made a second service, so no, I'm kidding. I, I think I came like twice. But uh, I think I can introduce myself just a bit. Uh, like I was uh, introduced by Lauren today, I'm the youth director uh, for Elevate, right? Elevate! There you go. We don't do that anymore. Back in the day, we used to do that every Sunday. They're like, hey, listen, we got to save some time, man. That's taking too long. But um, yeah, I'm so excited. I've been coming to this church since I was about 16 years old. I'm 24 now. Uh, when I was coming, yeah, praise God, praise God, praise God. Uh, when I was coming, I didn't really know really what was being said. I wasn't saved. I was just coming to come. You know, I was trying to get that religious itch. Uh, but at 18 years old, the Lord saved me. Matter of fact, on a Sunday service, just like today, he saved me. I came to an altar call. The Lord set me free from perversion, pornography, depression, anger. And from there on, I've, I've never, never been the same, really. Amen? Now, uh, one thing I just want to, you know, enough about me, but I want to talk about the church real quick. This goal right here, I'm one of the many evidences that it, what we're doing here works. One of the many evidences. I was a youth that really, I wasn't like the typical youth that we see in Elevate because we got some on-fire youth. I mean, I didn't know any Bible verses, right? This, is, this was my walk with Jesus. I would uh, sin a lot in the day. At night, I would say, God, forgive me for this, this, that, and that. Read the daily Bible verse. Didn't know what was going on. I would knock out. That was my walk with Jesus. I mean, it was like here and there, flippy, flipping, flopping. Uh, but the Lord brought me here. And through this church, I was discipled. And through this church, I found out that I had a calling to preach the gospel. Not just, uh, um, not just you know, what a lot of people think, just on like the pulpit on you know, Fridays and Sundays. But, man, we get sent out to the streets. Before I even stepped foot on the stage to preach, I was preaching in the streets. And that's a lot of us. I know we have Marco here. Where are the, where are the other Bible college students? We got Malia, Marco. We got Astrid, we got Dez, right, who is worshiping the Lord right here leading us. Uh, I'm just letting you know what our church is doing, um, not just with the Bible college students, the deacons, the two owners. Listen, we, we love Jesus, and we want to make his name known throughout the world. Amen. So today I have a word for you guys uh, regarding submission and resistance. Submit and resist. resist. Everybody say submit. submit. Everybody say resist. So this is a very interesting topic, okay, especially for me personally, because I know some views that maybe some of you guys don't know, and then if you, I don't know if you guys have been, you know, listening to the news, you guys are living under a rock, but we have a new president, Joe Biden, right? No hand claps for him, it's okay. So we just, we just praying for him, we praying for him, right? So, you know, we, we know, we know the platform, we know his policies, we know exactly what he thinks. And some Christians are a little scared. Some Christians are a little happy. You know, we, we, we really have a little bit of both. You know, our, the last four years have been very divisive in the, in the church. A lot of people are split on how to live like a Christian in America today. So 
I want to do my best to the glory of God to, to talk a little bit about submitting to the government and resisting the government, but also submitting to God and resisting the works of the enemy. So my first question, right, to you guys, to get you guys thinking this morning, because it's early, right? Some of y'all still got the eye dust. I may have, so my wife's going to check me later and be like, you had eye dust the whole time. That's my wife, by the way, Karina. We serve together on Fridays. Just wanted to throw that out there. She does so much work. She is uh, one of the best, if not the best, youth leader I've ever seen. So if you, uh, if you have a teenager under the age of 18, um, listen, that's, that's the girl to go to, okay? So my first question to you guys is, is it wrong for Christians to resist the government? Is it wrong for Christians to resist the government? Because we see a lot of people drop Romans 13. Anybody know Romans 13? Right? Matter of fact, uh, I just want to flash back a little bit. Some of you guys came here during COVID. Some of you guys came here during the, the, the riots that were happening. But before that, maybe the second week of, uh, you know, COVID being kind of uh, the lockdown being in place, our pastor preached a, a sermon on Romans 13. And he was talking about this civil disobedience. And I, so it's been a while, so I, I kind of want to drop back, uh, jump back into that topic. But in today's political world, Christians are reminded to submit constantly and play nice with systems that they are in, even if it leaves their faith and their lives in jeopardy. So we must look back, right, look back and see how the church was able to resist while remaining true to their calling to be like Christ. Amen? We're going to go to Romans chapter 13. If you can scroll down, please. Romans chapter 13. Now, before I get in that uh, passage, I do want to kind of lay the, uh, the background a bit. A lot of times, people, uh, we, we talk about the government in the Bible days as if it is or was like the days uh, in America, like today in America. They didn't get to vote. They didn't get to vote. That was, that was not the case. They didn't get to share their political voice. Matter of fact, there was many philosophers uh, that believed that the common man should not have the right to vote because they're too stupid. It's just the truth. That's, what, that's how they thought in Greco-Roman society. Nevertheless, we have a lot of similarities with the Greco-Roman society. So I want to kind of share a few of those things just to get a background. Not, not all of the, don't worry, it's not going to be a history lesson. I'm not going to do that, right? But what I am going to do is highlight some key points. First and foremost, in the first century, Rome was an empire. It was an empire. And their leader was considered godlike, even named the son of God. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And this is unlike America where we do have our checks and balances. We do have our checks and balances. No matter how many times presidents like to make that executive order, right, we do have checks and balances. We have an impeachment. We have processes so that the, uh, the president can't just do what he wants to do. Back in the day, they would just have to assassinate the person to get them out there. We can impeach them, praise God, all right? Now, Roman society was a... It's, it was a pluralistic society. What that means is there was many different types of religions, many different types of classes, many different types of uh, people worshiping different types of God's businesses. Now, that's similar to America, right? I mean, if you just go down Belmont, you'll see a mosque. Uh, and, and if you go maybe further down, you'll see a temple, right, for uh, Hindus to worship. And so we, we have a pluralistic society now. The difference, though, with America and Greco-Roman society is this. The Greco-Roman society, the emperor and their government was entangled with religion. Entangled. In some cases, the emperor was the pagan high priest among the other pagan priests. 
So what they believed about religion, the government, was very important. You had to worship your God a certain way, and it was to benefit the nation. In America, we have this, you know, we, we like to drop this all the time, separation of church and state, even though a lot of people don't know what that means. If you're a Christian and you say, well, the Bible says this, no, separation, church and state. You know, you can't bring, you, you heard a lot of, pre, uh, you heard the president now say that before. He's a Catholic, a practicing Catholic, but he doesn't bring his religion into politics. So you would be surprised that Joe Biden actually doesn't have a, a uh, he has a different view than a lot of people on the left when it comes to abortion. However, he says that he's going to leave his religion out of it. So that's just, it's just uncommon, right? The government didn't think like that back then. Their religion was very much a part of it. Their faith was very much a part of it. So a little bit different there. Another thing, they wanted peace and security, and they said they had it, and they gave credit not to really any of the gods, but they gave it to the emperor. They said he gave us peace and security. He's the one that prospered our nation, and it's, no, it's, not, that, it's not that different in America because in America, we look to the government as our savior at times. We say, you prosper us. You give us peace. You give us security. We'll lock down. We'll go in our houses for months if we have to. Whatever you say, Lord. So really, there's not that much of a difference there. Another thing, we all know about Christian persecution, amen? Christian persecution has been happening uh, even in the first century. However, at the time this letter was written, Nero was governor, but he hadn't gone completely insane. Anybody know about Nero? If you know about Nero, you know he was crazy. Killed his mother, had his wife killed. He was supposedly playing his instrument while all of Rome was burning, then he blamed it on the Christians, and that's when the Christian persecution really picked up. So he used them as a scapegoat. Now, another thing I want to mention, because this is just the background, how the tensions are really high religiously and politically within this, uh, this nation. The Jews, for a time, were kicked out of Rome. And this is funny. This is something I just learned uh, in school. But they were, they were kicked out of Rome because of riots and rebellion over this guy called Crestus. Crestus. Now, uh, what does Christus sound like? Christ. So this is common for them to mispronounce names. So if you look in the Bible, there's a lot of riots. There's a lot of things going on. The Jews are going crazy in the Bible because of the preaching of the gospel, calling Jesus God, calling Jesus the Messiah, basically saying this is the new way to live. Jews are going crazy. They get kicked out of Rome. So now they're in the letter uh, written by the Romans, they're actually on their way back. And there's a new type of Christian here. There's the Gentile Christian. That's why the Romans, uh, the book of Romans is, is being written. But the Jews, they had a very, uh, there was a lot of riots that they had, a lot of rebellion in their, in their culture, if you know about them. So the tensions are really high between the Christians, the Jewish people, the government. There's riots. There's fights. All these things going on. And in the middle of that is Romans chapter 13. Paul giving us some instruction on how to live in the society and how to have a relationship with the government. What relationship would that look like? So let's read Romans chapter 13 together. It says in verse 1, Let everyone be subject, everybody say subject, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And those who do, uh, those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, uh, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be uh, do what is right, and you will be commended. 
For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Sorry, you do have to pay taxes, guys. All my libertarian friends. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you, pay, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Amen. Praise God for his word. So everyone should be subject. Everybody should be in subject to governing authorities. What does it mean to be subject? It means to basically willingly, willingly put yourself under the control or authority of something. When... The disciples were casting out demons, and they went to Jesus, and they're all happy. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Even the demons are subject to us. That's the same word being used here. So we are to be subject to the government. We are to be subject to their authority. And, and, and that is because they are an institution given by God. So what do we do as Christians? Very simple. Paul just says we ought to do what is right? We have to do what is right. If we can go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. So Paul is setting that up. He's saying we have to be subject. They are from God, so let's listen to them. Let's do what is right. So Romans, uh, I mean, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Now this is Peter, another apostle. And he's saying, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So that's a rhetorical question. That's the question. Teach this. He's saying, who's going to harm you if you do good? That's, that's the kind of question he's asking right now. He's, he's not saying, like, with the thousands of years of Christian persecution in mind. He's saying, like, this is just obvious. If you don't do anything wrong, then no one should harm you. But even if you were to suffer, as in it's, it's a crazy possibility, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Who's the third the thir in here? Who's them? Who, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what the people of God fear. Do not fear the people that can hurt you, whether that be the government, whether that be the police, whether that be the centurions, whoever that may be, do not be frightened. Do not be, a, do not be afraid. So that's Peter, another apostle, and, then, and him and Paul are kind of on the same page here. They're on the same page on, on how to behave in society. If we can go to, uh, back to Romans uh, chapter, chapter uh, 13, verses 4 through 6. So I want to make this very clear. These are perfect conditions to be subject to government. Perfect conditions. Why? Because this is an institution given by God. I mean, it's probable that if you do what is right, then nothing will go wrong. Nothing will go wrong. So that is what I want you guys to understand there is that when Paul is speaking, when Peter is speaking, he's talking about some, not perfect, I should say, but livable conditions to be subject to. He's not just talking about if Hitler is taking control and he just killed your Jewish neighbor and you just sit there and watch him and you're like, I got to be subject. I got to be subject. Now I can't do anything. Oh, you're a Jew and you want to stay in my cellar? Anybody ever read the, the book Anne Frank? Right? I, that book was crazy. She was living in a cellar for years, right? But the people that were, uh, had her in that cellar and her family, they were not being subject to the government. They're not being subject to the government. There is a theologian during that time. He was German. His name was Dietrich. He had this theory called just war theory, 
where he was actually involved in the attempt to kill Hitler. He was giving his input as a pastor, as a theologian, how to put a bullet in this man's head. He was involved in that. A lot of debate about that. But he wasn't subject to the government there. So we have to understand that Paul is speaking specifically about a specific situation. It's not just, yeah, in, in, in World War II, hey, you got to be subject. Oh, man, you know, in Russia, you got to be subject. In China, you got to be subject. When they tell you in California, don't even sing worship songs in your house, you got to be subject. All right? You got to be subject. Don't speak about gay rights. Be subject. You got to send your kids to public school. You got to do it this way. Be American. You got to be subject. Right? There's all these things that people do, right, that just to be subject to the government, even if it jeopardizes their faith, and they'll take this and they'll use it as an excuse, but that's not the case. Because the subjection, right, that we are under depends on who the government is serving. It depends on who they're serving. If we go to verses 4 through 6, if we can just highlight God's servants right there. For the one in authority is who? Who? Who do they serve? So if they're not serving God, I don't got to be subject to them. I don't got to be subject to them. Because at this time, and a lot of people think, well, like, no government is perfect. You see this money thrown, thrown out all the time. But, but what about slavery? But what about segregation? What about civil rights? And you see all these things. The government was never perfect. Hey, yo, government was never perfect. That's the truth. That's the, that's the truth. But I want you to look at the church throughout the days where the government was imperfect and when they had freedom. You go to Azusa Street uh, Revival. Did you not know there was Asians there, blacks there, Latinos there, whites there, all experiencing the power of God? And that is what jump-started the Pentecostal movement. This was during segregation. Billy Graham one time, he said, listen, the, the, the church, God's church is not segregated. Drop these ropes. Listen, Christians have always been woke to this idea that, listen, everyone is made in the image of God. So when people drop civil rights, it's about, you know, like, oh, man, well, you know, we can't go back then. And that thinking, I wouldn't, I'll admit, like, I wouldn't be welcome back there, right? If someone was looking at me, they'd be like, I don't really know who you are or what you are. You might be, like, uh, Middle Eastern, you might be a Latino, whatever. I just don't like you, right? That might be the truth. That might be the truth. But that was not now at the time to say, okay, well, uh, you know, forget this government. I'm going to bomb the Capitol, right? I'm going to storm the Capitol or whatever. No, that was the time to use the gospel to resist in a different way. And that's something I want to share with you guys. We've seen a lot of resistance recently, but a lot of the resistance has not been biblically correct. And Christians have been supporting that resistance. Last year in the summer, we had people stealing Nike shoes from the Nike store and saying, hey, that belongs to me. That's reparations. We had people saying that I was in one of those riots with Lawrence, my wife, and who, if you were there, just raise your hand if you're in the Brickyard riot. If you were there, you were there, of course. Okay, second service, there'll be a few more people. But we were there, and we saw these young people that weren't even from the neighborhood, weren't even from the neighborhood, taking advantage of this because they said the government is, uh, is corrupt. So what we got to do is we got to take this. Listen, that's not the, type, the right type of resistance. And I remember having a debate with a dude who claimed to be a Christian, went to seminary saying, this is okay because in Egypt, guess what? They plundered. The Israelites plundered Egypt. So we can plunder these businesses. And I said, bro, you are all types of messed up. All types of messed up. Dude, you got to check yourself, bro. That is not correct. You didn't see Jesus go in the temple when he flipped tables and said, well, yo, let me take some of them quarters right there. Let me take them coins, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say, I'm going to benefit off this government's, uh, this corrupt government. He didn't say that. Or this, uh, this corrupt merchants. No, he didn't say that. So back to the point. Sorry, I kind of went on a rant there. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. It's another thing I want you to keep track of. They are, everybody say it. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also a matter of conscience. So listen to this. When Paul says for, right, that means he's giving a reason. He's reasoning with us. He wants us to follow, use our brains. He does not say, well, just do it because I said so. But Paul always does this. He gives reasons. He gives reasons. He gives you the idea of what he's saying here when he, when he brings up for. Following his stream of thought, then we understand this is why we should be subject. This is why. And it's because of this, that the government is God's servants for our good, and that he does not want us to be afraid. Similar to what Peter was saying. He doesn't want us to be afraid. And I know everyone here should feel that. The minute you drive, right, you see that speed limit, you're like, man, that's 35. I can go 40. And all of a sudden, you're going 40. And then you're like, man, I'm late. Get that 45, right? But then you see that cop pull in the corner, you step on that brake, and you drive 20, 19, 18, and you're as slow as possible because you're living in fear. You're like, dang, they're going to pull me over and give me a ticket. That's what he's talking about there. Now, listen, I, I might have snitched on myself a little bit, but I do my best to say the speed limit. I was called too slow when I first started driving by a lot of people in this church, so I had to speed it up because they pressured me, only because they pressured me. But here's the thing. Uh, Paul doesn't want us to live in fear of government. He doesn't want us to live in fear that we might get in trouble. He doesn't. So if you're stealing and you get caught and you say, man, I'm suffering, the government, man, free, free, uh, free Marco, man, free Marco, he stole some Nike, a pair of Nike shoes. You ever see that, like the hashtag free this dude? Christians don't think like that. You're suffering, you're suffering for your reason. They, they don't bear the sword for no reason. They don't bear the sword for no reason. You're suffering because you did something wrong. So that's the reason. That's his, that's his reasoning behind it. Now, think about this, right? They are God's servants for our good, for our good. So if they're not serving, God will see that in how they treat us. And he's not talking about anybody but the Christian here. He's not talking about anybody but the Christian because this is going to be a touchy subject. We do have a lot of issues with our government, and some of that stuff is wrong. Whether you lean right, whether you lean left, we can all admit Right in the middle, the government's messed up. We all admit that. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. A lot of people like to paint these presidents and our leaders in a perfect light. What they don't understand is that diminishes the light that Jesus shines on this country. That diminishes it. Donald Trump was not perfect. We know that. He made that very clear. Biden's not going to be perfect. Dude after him is not going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, we might never have a champion for the faith. Matter of fact, that God used some really wicked people to do good for us, to do good for us. Years after this, maybe like 200 years, 300, yeah, 300 years, there's a man named Constantine who's wicked, pagan, emperor. God uses him to make Christianity legal and then make Christianity a mainstream belief. But he was wicked. And matter of fact, a lot of people think he was Christian. He didn't get baptized till right before he died. He didn't get baptized till right before he died. But people would like to say he's Christian. No, 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 no. Don't even front. He was wicked. He was wicked. But God used him as a servant for our good. So 
follow Paul's streamline. He's not saying we need perfect government and perfect authority, but we need government that is going to do good for us. And we submit to that government. We submit to that government. We submit to that authority. Another thing, before, besides them being God's uh, servant, is punishment and conscience. Punishment and conscience. Everybody say punishment. punishment. Everybody say conscience. Roman punishment was very public. You think about the cross, it was very public. If you're a Christian and you're getting punished as a Christian because you stole something or you're a thief, oh, that's going to bring shame on the body of Christ. So a lot of us, we have to be careful, right? We have to be diligent. We have to be mindful how we present ourselves to the public. We're not just getting arrested for no reason. We're not just getting arrested because we're preaching that you got mad, you slapped some dude in the face. That's not, that's not the case here. You know what I'm saying? That's not the case. You cannot be punished publicly. Don't do that. Not only is it going to kill you, right, probably because it's the Roman society, but you're going to bring shame upon the body of Christ. So punishment was a public thing. We want to present Christ as appealing to the outside world. And then conscience, now the inward peace. Like I was talking about fear. You don't want to live like, oh, man, will the government get me or will the police see me? If they find out I'm doing this, I'm going to go to jail for a while. That's why sometimes when we preach in the streets, we got people that got cases. And they, 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 they're, they're in jeopardy of going to jail. And one of the, some of the advice we give them is go to jail. Serve out your sentence. Because you don't want to have a filthy conscience. You want to have a pure conscience, a clean conscience. You want to make sure that there's nothing distracting you from following Jesus. This also talks about sin, right? When you are living in sin, it's hard to serve God. Matter of fact, it's impossible to serve God because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve sin yet claim to be a Christian. So Paul is getting towards an outward uh, presentation and an inward lifestyle when he says this. And that's the reason why we are subjected to the government. Now, he even says to give what is owed. If they, and, and this is what it basically is. If they meet their end of the bargain, we meet our end of the bargain. If they are God's servant for our good, then guess what we are? We're subjected to their authority. Now, what happens when that position is flipped? I'll get to that in a moment, but I do want to put some context in this. A lot of people, they read the Bible, and they only read six verses, and they say, this is my point. But then their point is kind of undermined by the next three verses, and it helps us understand because with this one through seven, we don't really get it. So that's it. And that goes back to what I was saying. Does that mean that I had to listen to Hitler? I had to listen to the Nazi? Does that mean I had to listen to these people when they said, do you have any Jews in the cellar? I had to take hand Frank and give them to her? I mean, give, the, give her to them? Is that, what it, is that what it means? Is that the subjection that it means? No, it's talking about how we live in our society, how we treat our fellow neighbor, how we treat the officer in that time, and then going to the, today, how we treat the people that think differently than us, how we treat the opposing party, how we treat the people in our neighborhood, how we treat the people in our schools. If we can go to, uh, and Logos, uh, go to Romans chapter 13, let's go from verses 8 uh, to 14. So let's bring some context in this, because it's not just do whatever they tell you, because right after he says, uh, if we can go to the verse above, actually. Right after he says, uh, give, give what is owed, give the government, give to everyone what you owe them, if you owe taxes, pay taxes, so on and so on, he then says, in the same, speaking of money, right, he's using the analogy of money or the idea of money, he says, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt 
to love one another. For love, for whoever loves others have fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Did you know that as you love people, you partake in the fulfillment of the law? Christ fulfilled the law, amen? When you now love your neighbor, you are, you are take, partaking in that fulfillment. If we continue to go, the day is near right there. And this is another, this is bringing more background to it. And do this understanding the present time. He's not talking about 2021. He's talking about the first century. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You got to understand, Paul, he lived not with the idea that Christ was going to return in 80 years, in 90 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. What he thought was Christ could return today. Christ could return tomorrow. So this is how he tells us to live in light of that. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what is the context of this? How are we to be subject to government? Well, we give them what we owe them and we love our neighbors. It's about as simple as it is. We live holy, give our taxes, give our honor to the police when we see them. So that means that if they're like, hey, uh, I'm going to pull you over, say the police pull us over, right? We ain't going to be on our Facebook like, man, I don't need to pull over. I don't need to pull over. You got your camera? Nope, that's, that's not right. I know my rights. I know my rights. And they're like, sir, this is, just a standard, uh, this is just a standard pulling over. And they're like, nope, nope, not getting out the car. Not getting out the car. Not rolling down my window. And that's not how we do. We give honor when honor is due. So we, right, we don't do that. We don't do that even, even if we feel like it. No, because this is what Paul is saying. If, our, if they are serving God and they are for our good, what we simply do is give them honor, and then when we're around people, we love them. Very simple. Live holy. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And this, this is all awesome, right? This is all awesome. Nothing controversial so far. Anything controversial? Okay, but here's the controversial thing is Paul was arrested so many times. Peter was arrested so many times. Jesus himself was arrested. So our leaders that we look to in the scriptures were arrested and resisted ordinances from the government. So is Paul a hypocrite now? Is Paul contradicting himself? No, you have to look at the situation. You have to look at the situation. You have to look at what's being done. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was born in Tarsus. It was, like the, uh, it was like the New York, really. You had Jewish people there. You had lots of pagans there. You had smart philosophers there. It was an awesome place to be born for Paul, and he had Roman citizenship. That's why you see him being able to go to Rome. That's why you see him sometimes being able to get out of jail, in jail, out of jail, in jail. And you're like, man, how did they, why don't they just kill this dude off? Well, he was a Roman citizen. He had rights, and he used those rights to further advance the gospel. So... Leading up to this last point, everyone should be subject, and it's because of who the government is serving. So we serve the government if they're serving God. That's what we do. 
We serve the government if they are serving God. And we see if they're serving God if they are doing stuff for our good. That's the idea that Paul is dropping here. Now, if we can go to Acts, uh, if I can actually, if we can put a slide up here. I'm not as good as Pijo with the slides, but I'm getting there. Just to make it easy, right? Let's say like, uh, you know, this is, this horizontal line, that's the receiving, right? So you're receiving authority. And then let's say the pointy part of the triangle, right, the acute side, uh, that is giving the authority. So when we submit, it's because God is giving the authority to the government. They're receiving from him, and they are doing good for the saints. Amen? Now, here's the issue, is that we have to resist when God is giving direction to the government, but they're saying, no, we don't want your uh, direction. We want to establish our kingdom. When the kingdom of man conflicts the kingdom of God, that's when we resist. When the kingdom of man resists the kingdom of God, that's when we resist the kingdom of man. Do you understand that? So when we are trying to preach the gospel and they say, you can't preach here, we say, we're staying here. We're staying here. We're going to preach. We have rights. No, no. Well, listen, come on, man. You're, you're disturbing the peace. Listen, there ain't no peace without Christ. I'm going to preach. That's what we do. That's what we do. And that's what has happened to our church many times. Just two weeks ago, TJ got uh, the police called on him. If you're new TJ, TJ always, that's, that's happened to TJ like three times. When I went preaching at public schools with Joe, literally the, guard, uh, the security guards would come and they'd be like, man, you can't do that here. He's like, this is public property. This line right here, that means public property. I can do whatever I want right here. And we had the police come. We argued with the police. Guess what? They left. We preached. That's what happens. That's what happens. See, that is the thing. We don't submit if they don't submit. We resist if they resist. If they keep playing these games, guess what? We love to play games. We'll play all day. That's it. So, and the, gov- and the government, so the government is not always serving us. It's, they're not. They're not. It's, it's obvious. Christ was crucified. That right there. And why was he crucified? Because he was claiming to be a king, a king of the Jews. Everybody know Herod? He was a half Jew, half Gentile. The Romans were like, bro, we need someone to like get these people to chill because they keep rebelling. So, bro, you're going to be like the king of the Jews. So Jesus being the king, Jesus being the Messiah, he what? He challenged their authority. He challenged their rule. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So guess what? They started to resist the kingdom. But Christ did not care. He said, you tell that fox, Herod, I'm going to be preaching. I'm healing. That's what I'm going to be doing. So what do we do, right? We follow the example of our God. We follow the example of our God, Paul and Peter, the ones who wrote, hey, if you suffer for bad, right, if you suffer for good, that's good. But if you suffer for wrong, that's your fault. That's your fault. If you're stealing, if you're doing all these things against the government, just trying to be petty and you suffer, that's your fault. This is the same dude who was locked up for preaching. As soon as he got out, he started preaching again. This is Paul. This is Paul speaking. And, and I, I want to make this very clear. We want America to prosper, amen? But the gospel is not concerned with it. The gospel is not concerned with America's prosperity. The gospel has never been concerned with the prosperity of a nation. And Rome felt that. Rome felt that. If we can go to Acts chapter uh, 19, verses 17 to 20. You see, Paul was controversial. Matter of fact, some scholars believe that he was purposefully controversial. He was purposely, purposely getting arrested, starting these troubles. And he wasn't being a meddler. But what he was trying to do was he was trying to establish the kingdom of God. If we actually go back to that slide, please. I, I, I missed this. This is Jesus speaking. 
He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You see, what was the point of all these uh, civil disobedience? It was to get to the rulers. You see, Paul was disobeying their laws to get to them. He was disobeying their laws to get to them. Listen, you don't understand. Metro has never had a name like this until last year. We've been preaching. We've been starting. Hey, listen, no, almost no churches preach in Chicago outside. Almost none. Maybe we go all the way down to the south side. You'll see some. But we've had the police called on us for preaching. We've gone to Belmont and Clark. We've had crowds over there. We've had people saved, people healed. We've had all these things, but no one seemed to notice. The minute we said, listen, we're going to have church, everybody went crazy. Everybody went crazy. We got attention from Larry. Oh, uh, Larry. Lori. Like, I, that was not intentional. I wouldn't. That was not. Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot. Okay? Bring that right back. I'm not making fun of her. Lori Lightfoot. We got attention from her and got a letter. Governor Pritzker made a video talking about once we stopped, once we continue to resist and they realize, dang, no matter how many times we threaten them, they don't, they don't stop. He made a video. At once it was an order, he was like, well, it was more of a suggestion. A lot of people didn't see that video. We resisted to the point where they're like, dude, we're tired of this. But we can never get to them. We can never get to them. We can never, and, and I mean, Paul, he did it many times to get to the authorities. So it's going to take a little bit more to find the government in order to get to them. But we would never seen that if it wasn't for civil disobedience. And it wasn't like we were just doing things like we jumped on a mosque and we're like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. We weren't being like petty like that. We just said, we're going to have church. We're going to have church. Because we do not forsake the da daily gathering of believers. We're commanded to do this. This is something that is our faith. You say freedom of religion. Well, this is our faith. And you had lots of Christians, Romans 13, Romans 13, Romans 13. Riots come. Romans 13 went out the window. And guess who went out the door? Us, because we were preaching in the riots. And in the riots, our name shot up again. Listen, we, were on the, we literally have three different views from the news. We have crazy church, opens its borders, right, opens its doors. Then we have church that preaches in the riots. Wow, so awesome. Then we got church cult, racist cult that hates Black Lives Matter, like literally, like three different views. They don't know what's going on here, but we got their attention, and we're preaching the gospel. So you have to understand is that we want to glorify Jesus, and we want to go to these rulers and authorities. It was no coincidence that Jesus told the disciples to do this, and guess what they did? They ended up doing it. So if we can go to Acts chapter 19, Continuing with my, my other thought, I wanted to backtrack there. Rome, uh, Acts 19 is, a, it is an awesome, awesome event that happens. First of all, Paul, he started trouble with the Jews because he was preaching Christ crucified. And, you know, of course, they don't, they don't want Christ crucified because that's showing he's the Messiah. Then that means their religious influence, their religious power has gone to squat. Now they need to serve Jesus. So they don't want that to happen. Jewish people were snitches. Always trying to start trouble. They were. And not all Jewish people, right? No, no anti-Semitic people here. But the Jewish people that were resistant to the gospel were snitching all the time. That's how Jesus got crucified. They went up and snitched. And then with Rome, I mean with Paul, they snitched now to the governor. And they made up lies. They accused him. 
They accused him of disturbing the peace because he wasn't following the Jewish customs. And he was teaching people not to. Now, we further, we further go along, and, and this man named Felix, he's the governor. And Felix has a Jewish wife. And Felix, he knows the way. He knows of the way, right? That means the Christian belief. Because for, before they were Christians, they were called the way. So he knows about them. And he sends uh, Paul to jail. He keeps him there, but eventually he brings him out. So I'll read it from right here. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the next, next passage. This is what happens before he gets in trouble with the Jews. And this is about society not really being uh, the concern of the gospel. So keep that in mind. So in this verse right here, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, that Paul had performed a miracle and he was preaching and people were uh, basically excited and they were starting to repent. It says, in the name of Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. That's revival right there. Basically in the streets, people are confessing their sins. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So think about scrolls, okay? When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to be 50,000 drachmas. I want you to know that's several million dollars. That's about 50,000 days of work. 50,000 days of work. In this way, the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And after I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and uh, Aristotle, and Macedonia, to Macedonia, Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So just pause right there. These people in Ephesus, they survived off idolatry. And, uh, and civil, basically practicing their religion, worshiping the other gods. They survived around it. So it's like imagine Joselito, he owns an idol shop, right? And he sells idols for Artemis, okay? And then we have Vicente, he sells uh, idols for Zeus. I sell scrolls so that we can know what those idols mean. So people will go get that idol and let's say he's like, why well, worship Artemis and Zeus? Then he'll go to Vicente and he'll go to me. We'll make a lot of money. And that was pretty much how it was. So that was how they prospered as a nation. This is how they got their money. This is how the markets were able to run wild. That's how they were able to have peace and security because that funded their soldiers. So now you have Paul. He comes in here and he says, these idols are worthless. Let's continue. Uh, the riot, so there's a riot in Ephesus. No, uh, just a little bit of a sneak peek there, a spoiler. About the time there was, arose a great disturbance about the way, a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in the related trades and said, related trades, remember I said. So these are all related to idolatry and the worship of other gods. You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And it's practically the whole province of Asia. He says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Man, we're kind of seeing this right now. Two weeks ago, a brother named James, uh, Cynthia was right here, his wife was right here. James and Cynthia, they started a witchcraft ministry where they go to witchcraft stores and they preach and pray. First week, they just prayed. And we went on Facebook this man had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I didn't even know there was that many witches in Chicago. I didn't even know that. I thought, 
I was so shook. I was like, my goodness. You had people talking about, oh, you know, we curse you. You know, we're going to sacrifice blood. And <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is going on? But like a whole riot really started on Facebook. People commenting, people disrespecting, people throwing curses at his family and the people in the video. And, and, and literally, we took advantage of that because P. Joe and James had like eight or nine live videos just preaching the gospel to them. But that's, that's what happened there. Their whole well-being, because you got to understand, even though, you know, uh, whatever uh, Madam, Madam Mystery gets, uh, you know, she says fake prophecies or whatever, she makes money off those fake prophecies. She makes money. That's her living. So when we come and we say that stuff is false and it's from the devil, you need to repent. You need to close the store and you open up a church or open up a Bible store here or something. When we say those things, right, we're ruining their life. You got to get that. They're not prospering. And if they're not prospering, that business fails. If that business fails, now that community has less money. So you got to understand that the gospel has no concern for the prosperity of this nation. Understand that. If this whole nation just completely turns its back on God completely and Christians are just scared, not preaching the gospel, God's like, okay, I'm off to China now. China is going to be the influence in this Christian world because Rome is the place right now. You got to understand, Paul is setting up Rome to be the place. Okay, but we know that Rome, you know, went crazy, you know, with the, with all the, with the Catholic Church and everything. So that left, right? The center of the church kind of left. Not saying America is the center of the church, but there's been a lot of blessing here for Christians. A lot of blessing. We have had a lot of favor, a lot of favor. But if we don't get this, that the gospel has no concern for people's private private space. Right? No concern for the noise level. Like in all seriousness, people are like, man, I don't want to bother people with the gospel. I'm like. What? You hear Christians saying, I just want to love people. I just want to talk to them lovingly. You know, and then their friends are out there practicing witchcraft. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm thinking here, how many people do I know practices witchcraft? Because there's hundreds of people. But that's not what Paul was doing here. He literally disrespected their whole living. He said that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. He disrespected their family. He put dirt on their moms. He put dirt on everything that they thought was true. That's what he did right now. That's what he did. And that is why he got arrested. That is why he got arrested. But how many Christians would say, hey, listen, you have your beliefs, I have mine. How many Christians would say, oh, you think abortion is fine? Oh, I think it's wrong. It's okay. Let's just be unified in love. Okay? Let's just love each other, okay? All right, because I'm like Jesus, and Jesus just loves people, okay? How many times do, are Christians going to do that? They do that a lot. But Paul, Paul knew he was loving people. When he told them this, he knew he was loving them. He didn't have to have some Christian guru tell him, listen, brother, let me sit you aside. This is how you are to present the gospel to people, right? First, you want to make, make friends with them. Be friends with them. Paul had no friends there. Paul had no friends there. I don't know what you're talking about. He was not friends with Demetrius. He never sat and had coffee at Wicker Park with Demetrius, okay, guys? Get your, hipster, get your hipster mind out of the Bible, yo. Listen, Paul was not a hipster. Paul was not a man of the people. Paul was at times considered uh, unliked, undesirable. And Paul did not care. So understand that the gospel had no concern for that place. The gospel would have that place all go broke if every soul got saved. That's it. That's it. So how do you think we should be able to reach the authorities? Like this. Acts like this. This is how we reach the authorities. When we stand 
on a, cor- a street corner and we preach to a Planned Parenthood place and tell them, you need to repent. You, the doctors in there and the woman going in there, need to repent and serve the living God. He can save you. When we stand in front of a mosque, right, and this, this is where it gets a little, little touchy because we got freedom of religion. Come on. They got their beliefs. And a lot of people be like, the witches were like, how about we go over there and say a seance in front of our church? I saw that. I was like, let's go. Come through. Bring your little red hoods and everything. We'll preach to you right there and there. We'll have church outside. See, people don't get that. People don't get that because they think that we're, we're not wild. We think, honestly, they think that we like to just sit here, be quiet, and listen, and then leave for 10, 10 minutes. A lot of these churches, they're used to 20-minute words, and they just leave. So they're like, we're going to ruin their Sunday. You ruin my Sunday, I'm going to ruin your Sunday. You ruin my holy day, I'm going to ruin your holy day. You don't understand, you just made my holy day. You just made my, my holy day more holy. So Paul, he did not care. He was willing to get arrested because he wanted to reach the authorities. After this, uh, and if we can go back to the, the next passage um, that I was reading earlier when I got a little mixed up. Forgive me about that. Forgive me for that. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 to 7. You see, when we read Acts like this, we understand Paul didn't care. You know, Paul was willing to say, and you know, of course, he, I mean, he felt that. It wasn't like Paul didn't have like this probably nervous feeling. That's why he says, I uh, pray for me. When you pray for me, pray that I have boldness. Pray that I have boldness. So I'm not painting this like superhero here that's like standing like this, and then people are like, ah, you know. No, Paul was beaten and bruised and bloody. And this, is, this gets to my next point. Felix sends for uh, Paul, and Paul and him have a conversation. And what does Paul talk to him about? Well, it says, Paul, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about how to have a godly relationship. Oh, no, no, uh, my bad. He spoke about how to have a better thriving community. Oh, no, he spoke about how, you know, his church has 1,000, 200,000. No, no, no. He spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. You see, a lot of these preachers, when they get to these news channels, when they get that platform, what do they do? They don't glorify Christ. Who do they glorify themselves? You see, Paul had no concern for himself. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, when he got into the ruler's space, what did he say? This is the kingdom of God here. You need to repent. What did he talk to him about? He didn't talk about, as Paul talked about, uh, you know, um, outreach to the community, giving to the homeless, and something real nice that will make them look cool. No, he talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. That's what he told the ruler. That's what he told the ruler. He didn't talk to him about some stuff that would get him out of jail. He talked about him some stuff that would keep him in jail. And that's exactly what happened. He says Felix was afraid. This dude was shaking. He was shaking. He was scared of hell. He was scared of judgment. He had no self-control. You see, the governors at that time, sometimes they would practice pedophilia. They would, they would be grabbing little boys, little, uh, little boy mistresses, and take them along. They would cheat on their wives. We all know about uh, John the Baptist, right, how he got beheaded. But he called that man out in his sin. We know they were wicked. They, they, know they were wicked people. A lot of people like to pretend that, well, I don't look at their sin. Everybody sinned. Well, everybody sinned. So I, if he looks at my sin, you know, I'm just as bad. I'm just as filthy as him. Well, he, Paul called himself the chief of sinners at one point. He said that he was a sinner. He was a, he was a worse sinner. That didn't stop him from preaching to this man. And then Felix says, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, 
This man's in jail going back and forth with this dude for two years. How many people would throw in the towel? How many people would say, man, I'm just going to take this bribe from this man. I'm going to tell him what he needs to hear so that he can have some peace of mind. That's not true. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. You see, because the gospel had no concern for the Paul the apostle. Understand that the gospel had no concern for Paul the apostle. They were martyred. They were beaten. It, th- that was their best life now. They saw joy in that. They rejoiced in that. They were on Instagram flexing on everybody. They weren't saying, look what I bought my wife, a $200,000 car. Thank you to the church for your support. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't posting uh, uh, Instagram pictures like Sneaker Saturday. Paul did not care about that. Because the gospel doesn't care about his well-being because the gospel already saved his soul. So we had to understand that, that Paul the apostle was willing to be crucified, uh, not crucified, but persecuted, right? Because he's following his Savior. He's sharing in the sufferings. So the gospel had no concern for the, uh, for the community and their prosperity, neither Paul and his prosperity. You see, a lot of people want favor with the government. That's why, what, what will they do? When churches are being locked down by the government and by the mayor, they'll hand out food with her, not rebuke her. That's what they'll do. You're in vicinity with the mayor, and instead of talking to her about self-control, judgment, and righteousness, we're going to serve the community with her. No, that's not what Paul would do. She Paul didn't say, hey, Felix, let's go back to Ephesus. Let's help these people out. No, he, for two years, he probably wasn't talking about the community. Not once did he mention, man, I'm sorry because you know, I just messed everything up there. No, he didn't. He talked about the same thing for two years. Two years, and the favor, right, you get this, the favor that could have been given to him, who was it given to? The Jews. See, a lot of people want to impress authorities and rulers so that they can get their favor in the city. A lot of churches do that. We want their favor. So let's, let's be nice. Let's play uh, patty cake. Let's play this game where you scratch my back, I scratch your back. But that's not how favor works. Favor ain't fair. If you're a church in the city and you don't rebuke the mayor right there, then you're not following the instruction of Paul. You're not following the example of Paul. That's not why Jesus said when you're in front of rulers and authorities, I'll give you the words to say. That's not why he told you that. He said, I'll give you, that. I'll give you those words to say so you can rebuke them and lead them to repentance. So we know, we know for a fact that the gospel went forth to this man named Felix. No ifs or buts. Paul, Paul wasn't in jail wondering like, oh man, I hope he just knew I loved him. Well, my love just led him to the Lord. Paul was not sitting in chains like that. Matter of fact, Paul had a plan. He wanted to stay in jail. See, a lot of us don't get that. He wanted to stay in jail. And he said, I am, a, I am in chains to this gospel. You see, because he wasn't just thinking about Felix. He was thinking about the emperor of Rome. He was thinking about the emperor of Rome. I wonder how, man, Donald Trump has so many pastors. And I'm just wondering, I wonder which one of them told him about self-control, righteousness, and judgment. I'm just wondering. I saw him pray for him. But then, man, like three days later on Twitter, this man's going off cussing and everything. I'm just wondering, which one of them said, dude, I'm going to make you my disciple. Bro, you need to understand, you got no power 
except from what God has given you. Dude, I mean, how many times, I, I saw a video and it's so embarrassing. Paula White's like, if I say no to Trump, I'm saying no to God. Dude, what kind of disgusting stuff is that? That's not what Paul said. If I say no to Caesar, no. Listen, no, that's not the truth. That's not how we do things here. We are, we are Christians who have an example before us. Paul was willing to go to jail in chains and so in order to go to Rome so he can see the emperor saved so that what? If the emperor saved, all of Rome will be saved. That's what he was thinking. So if I get the head, right, then guess what? I can get the whole nation. A lot of people have ever heard about Islam wants to take over and everything. Well, they like kind of took that from Christianity and made it violent. Because the truth of the kingdom of God is that we want to take over. A lot, of, a lot of Christians are scared to say that. Like, we want everyone to be Christian. Like, the gospel has no concern for diversity and belief, okay? Like, it, they don't care. We're a diverse campus. You know, we have uh, Buddhists. We have this. We have that. And I'm a Christian. I'm coming to your campus, and I'm going to preach repentance until everyone's a Christian. That's it. I don't care. I, you believe that, you know, your God was once a dog or something? I, 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 that does not concern me. What, I, what concerns me is your soul. So I'm going to preach to you. So the gospel has no concern for that. Jesus, Paul, and Peter, they all critique. So now you see the resistance, right? You see the submission. You see the resistance. You see when we submit, how we submit. But now you see when we resist and how we resist. We have to understand that Jesus, Paul, and Peter we're constantly critiquing the government, constantly keep, uh, critiquing the politics. Because, listen, the idea of church and state being separate, yeah, the gospel has no concern for that either. The gospel has no concern for that either. And that's another place where a lot of Christians don't want to go, is that we will preach to these politicians, we will preach to these police officers, we will preach to everyone that has authority, because if they're not in line with God's, Right, God's order, then we don't, we're not subject to them. We're not subject to them. So what we do is we get them and subject to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. If I could have uh, the, I mean, Vinny. Yes, Vinny. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'd say Melanie. I almost said Lawrence. <laughs> you said, Vinny, if you could come up, please. So uh, in closing, right, the application for us, right, is uh, to submit. We have to submit. But how do we submit? Does that mean that we ignore sin, sins of our nation? Does that mean we turn a blind eye to our neighbors who don't follow Jesus because we want them to live good lives? We want them to be happy where they're at? No, we submit by loving our neighbors. We behave decently. We do. As Christians, we behave decently. The Bible says that a good name is better than silver and gold. So we as Christians, we take that good name to our jobs. We don't want them to have anything wrong to say about us, so we behave decently. Then we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means everywhere we go, everywhere we go, and I love this saying. I don't know why people think it's corny. I remember hearing it when I was like five, WWJD. Like, people say that's like super corny. I'm like, dude, that's like legit though. What? You just live like Christ. C.S. Lewis said that in order to live like Christ, we just simply act like we are like him. We just do it. What would Jesus do in this moment? You act like him. And that, that goes with everything, even confrontations with neighbors, right? When people are giving you a hard time, you are clothing yourself with Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are living like him. Next, we resist. That means we utterly reject what society says is true about Christ. How they say Jesus was some socialist hippie who just 
loved people to the kingdom and just said, hey, be happy, be, uh, be happy, and that's the best thing for your life. No, we utterly reject this view. We utterly reject the view that, G- that Jesus is able to be slotted into all these po- political agendas. We reject that, and we speak against that. That's how we resist. That's one way we resist. Then we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel in our community. We preach the gospel to our community. Then we preach the gospel to authorities. We do this. This is how we resist. We don't throw a rock in a Jimmy John store and take all their subs. We don't throw a rock in a business and take all their products. That is not how Christians resist. This is a kingdom of God revolution. This is not anything like the world would do. And when we preach to authorities, it's not to gain their favor. We're not going hand in hand with them saying kumbaya. We're telling them about self-control. We're telling them about judgment. We're telling them about righteousness. That's what we're doing. That's how we resist. That's how we resist. And if, uh, if I could have the altar workers up, please. And if you could put James chapter 4, verse 7. And this is the last type of submission I want, I want to really, submission and resistance, I want you guys to understand. Because there's a lot of Christians that they'll say, yes, 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 you know, you know forget the government, man. I'm with you, man. But then, like, they don't want to submit to God. You, cannot re- you, you will not know when to resist the government if you are not submitted to God. You will not know because you are not listening to God. Does that, does that make sense? It says right here, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So as Christians, in your daily lives, you should have a type of submission already. You should have a type of resistance already. So that in your personal life, you already know when to submit to God. In your personal life, you already see the works of the enemy, so you resist. So now when the government starts to listen to the devil, not the Lord, when the government starts to listen to to evil things, right, evil thoughts, we know when to resist them. Because a lot of Christians weren't practicing this, and that's when the government was able to take their religious rights away. So we have to understand this. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If everybody can stand up, please. See, as disciples of Christ, we are always resisting and we are always submitting. Always resisting the works of the enemy and always submitting to God. So we submit to the kingdom of God and we resist anything that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Anything that is opposed to the kingdom of God. If you all could bow your heads and close your eyes, please. I just want to call up anyone, right, who in this season has been afraid, has been afraid. You heard that Biden was elected. You heard some of the laws that he had in place, and you're afraid. Or maybe you're also afraid of what happened in the summer with all the riots and everything. You're afraid that people won't protect you, that the government won't be on your side. As Christians, don't be afraid. If you've been in fear then I want you to come up and get prayer for it. We want to encourage you. Now, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, when I speak about the kingdom of God, that's not something you're a part of. I want to invite you to the kingdom of God. I want to invite you to know Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who died, the one who actually brings peace and security, the one who actually brings salvation. I want to invite you to know him. It's simple. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again. We can walk you through that if you come up here.
And as they sing, I want you guys to really reflect on this word. Where can you resist the kingdom of man so that you can show the kingdom of God? Hallelujah. Lord, speak to us, God. Speak to us, Lord. I pray right now, Father, for everyone here, God, that we, Lord, would submit to you. That we would submit to you. We would submit to your will. We would submit to your word. We would submit, Lord, to your instruction, God. Father, I pray that we would resist the enemy. No matter what shape or form the enemy tries to reach us in, to turn away from you, God, I pray that we would resist him, Lord. And Father, we pray and we lift up to you right now, President Biden. We pray that he would be, uh, be saved, Lord. We pray that he would repent. That he would no longer try to uh, separate you from his job, God. That he would understand that the only reason he has that position is because you have allowed him to be there. God, we pray for Lori Lightfoot. We pray that she would repent of her homosexuality. We pray that she would serve you, Jesus. God, we pray for Governor Pritzker, God, that he would come to know you, Jesus, and he would be a man of God, and that he would establish churches here, God. Hallelujah. We submit to you, Lord. We wholly submit to you, Lord.